Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. This morning our service kids up to fifth grade get to take off for classes. And before they do, we'd like to pray for them and for ourselves as a church family. In this new year, let's notice especially this word, guidance of your spirit, as we ask God. Good? We're done? Everybody's gone. Good. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? How was Christmas, New Year? 
Great. I wanted to show you a little image of my Christmas present for this year from my mother. Have we got that? Uh, uh, there. That is a gold sovereign. Do you know what a gold sovereign is? It has a nominal value of one pound, which is about $1.30, something like that, depending on how we feel about Brexit, it goes up and down. But about $1.30, but it has a real value of around $300, because it's made of solid gold. And so that was my Christmas present for my mother. It came in a little envelope. Now, that would be very nice, except also what made it particularly special was that there was a story behind that coin. You see, if you can cast your mind back to around 1987, if you were alive in 1987, and some of you were, uh, but around 1987, do you remember what happened at that time? Well, you remember what happened in 2008? Same thing happened in 1987. Black Monday was a day on which the stock markets crashed around 1987. Yes, it has happened before. 2008 wasn't the only time. So in 1987, there was a worldwide crash of the stock markets. And my father, being a practical man, went out and bought some gold, some gold sovereigns, just in case the world fell to pieces. And he took those gold sovereigns and he buried them in the backyard. <laughs> and underneath a little greenhouse. And there they sat. And honestly, as a family, we forgot all about it. I'm not sure I even knew he'd done that. And then many years later, uh, my father sadly had a stroke. And he lost his power of speech. And at some point, one of us remembered, Dad, uh, you remember, his mind was still quite active, you remember those, that gold that you buried in the back garden? Is it still there? Mm. It's not there? Mm. Where is it? Mm. <laughs> Dad, where's the gold? <laughs> And he couldn't remember, and he couldn't explain even what he might have done with it, because he really couldn't communicate at all. And so you can imagine as a family how that little pot of gold grew in our imagination. There's probably 20,000 pounds worth of gold lying in the garden somewhere. We don't know where it is. It's not in the greenhouse anymore. Let's get a metal detector, and so on and so forth. But this Christmas, I got a gold summer, and my mother found it. It was in the back of a sock drawer. There weren't that many of them, there were 10 of them. It was a little bit of money. But the thing is, that coin was lost, but now it's found. The coin has been returned, as it were, to its rightful owners. And I want to think a little bit this morning about that thing of lostness. When you look at the Scriptures and how they think about those who are outside the community of faith, outside, if you will, outside the church, how would you call them? What would you, if I were to ask you, what would you call people who don't go to church? This is interaction time. What would you say? How do you, what do you say? Nothing? Come on. How would you call them? What, what names would you give them? Non-believers, okay. Seculars, okay. Lost, yes. Anything else? Non-Christians, the unwashed. 
It's important what we call those outside the church. It's one of the debates that people who work inside the church have. What should we call people? What names should we give them? There's a man called Cleveland Evans. He studies. He's the president of the American Name Society, and he says this. He spends his time studying names and the significance of names. Every culture in the world has specific designations for specific people. We give them names. It's something human beings have had as long as they have had language. We always do it, and what we call people matters. And in the Scripture, it is at least one way in which uh, uh, those outside of the community of faith are given a name. They are called the lost. Now, I can tell you as somebody who was outside the uh, faith, being called lost, I don't know if I like that very much. Because mostly, with it, we carry a sort of pejorative sense of clueless, right? A lost person is a little clueless. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're up to. Is that what Jesus meant? Is that what the Scripture means when it talks about those outside of faith as being lost? And of course, I want to suggest no. And so we're going to look at what the Scriptures mean by lost through the parable of the prodigal son. And I want us to see how the parable of the prodigal son is intended to shift our understanding of what lostness means and actually speaks to the heart of the gospel, which is all about belonging. Let's pray and we'll have a little look at the Scriptures. Father God, this morning, we need your word. Holy Spirit, we need you to be our teacher. Speak to our hearts about what it means to be lost. Speak to our own sense of lostness, however that manifests itself. Would you comfort us this morning, and would you continue to build in us your heart for the lost? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we can have a, a little picture I'd like to show you. This is a picture by a great artist by the name of Rembrandt. Can you see it? Ah, oh, it's not very bright. Uh, Rembrandt uh, paints rather dark pictures. But uh, uh, can you see it enough there? Yes. You can see very vaguely there that uh, this is a picture of the three main characters who are in this story of the prodigal son. And all three characters are going to be, be important to our understanding of the lostness. Obviously, they're in the red cape is the father. And Rembrandt has very deliberately painted that father to have an almost masculine and sort of feminine quality about it. He's draped in this beautiful red shawl. And I don't know if you can see, but the two hands that are on the prodigal son, one is quite masculine and strong, and the other is rather delicate and feminine. And then obviously you have the prodigal son there. You, I don't know if you can see, but he's lost his shoe. A great sign of humiliation, if you will. He's lost everything. And then to the right, as part of a crowd looking on, you get this rather stern figure of the older son, standing with the onlookers, apart, as it were, from this image of reconciliation. And I'll ask you this morning, of those three characters, the father, the prodigal son, and the elder son, which one do you most easily identify with? Who do you, because most of you will probably know this parable, who do you identify with most easily? And this parable of lostness 
begins really with the precise opposite, which is the sense of belonging. It's a story of a family, a story of a family told to a culture for whom family would absolutely everything. You get your sense of identity, your sense of wealth, everything was about family. So it assumes this parable of lostness, intimate belonging. And at the head of that intimate belonging is the father. So if you're really going to think about lostness, first of all, you've got to think about what the opposite is, which is what is it like to belong, which points to the nature of the father. And Jesus tells his audience this parable and tells it to us this morning to really make us think carefully about our own image of the father. What is the father to whom we belong really like. And so the parable makes a series of deliberate shifts to challenge his audience to think again. So the, uh, the text continues. Jesus uh, continued. He's tell, t- telling the story to a mixed crowd. Certainly there were Pharisees there. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Now, you probably have heard this. For a son to ask of his living father for his inheritance is the same as saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want what's coming to me right now. Dad, I wish you were dead. And the father's response in that sense is immediately extraordinary because the father says, Okay. Okay. Take what is yours. So then we get the account, which I'm going to skip through right now, of the prodigal's wild living. The prodigal heads off and squanders the wealth and ends up with the ultimate indignity of working in a pigsty. We'll come back to that in a moment. But when the prodigal comes to his senses and realizes this is no way to live, you get another Shock, if you will, for the audience of the extent of the generosity of the father. So when the prodigal son comes to his senses, he says, well, you know, I'm living in this pigsty, but I know this about my father. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? This father of mine is generous, and here I am starving to death. And so the son, remembering the innate generosity of his father, realizes that he would be better off even as a servant than living as he is in a pigsty. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I know what kind of a father you are. You are a generous father. So he got up and went to his father. Let me ask you a question. Have we got a picture of Bill Gates? If you got a letter tomorrow, an email or a text or whatever, and you were told that your father was actually Bill Gates, how would you feel? I'm sure you'd have a few questions for your parents. Mom, Dad but there might just be a little bit of excitement, don't you think? Because now you are the child, the son or the daughter of the wealthiest man or one of the wealthiest men in the world. That's going to change everything, isn't it? 
So then the next question is, is, well, is he generous? Now that I've found out who I really belong to, what kind of a father is this? And this parable is trying to make us wrestle with the nature of the father and look again. And obviously, the father represents God. What kind of a God is this? Let's look again at the picture of Rembrandt. You can't really see, but the elder son is with three other figures there. There's a little crowd of onlookers looking at this sort of scene of a familial recognition. And the whole parable has been set up by Jesus to elicit a particular response from the Jewish audience. You see, in one sense, this is a very simple morality tale, isn't it? You go and you live wrong, you get your just desserts, and in the end, you end up like the prodigal son. So how is the father then going to respond to this prodigal child? And as a good Jewish person, you know what that son needs and what that son above all deserves. Discipline, right? Some kind of consequence for the way that he has spent, not his own wealth, but the family's wealth. And yet what you see is a very, very different response from the father, this generous father. This is what the scripture says. But while he was still a long way off, the prodigal son, this is as the prodigal son returned, his father saw him. This father has not turned away from his child. You get this sense that the Father all this time has been watching. And we read from Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel is speaking to the people of God, the community of God, and saying, you're shepherds, you're not looking out for the lost. So I myself, says God, I will look and I will seek. And so the father in this parable is looking and watching for the son. And when he sees him, while he is still a long way off, the father, filled with compassion, we're getting a bigger picture, a generous father, a father who is willing to give prodigally to those who say, give me what's mine, I'm taking it now. This generous father is filled with compassion. It's a compassionate father. And he runs towards his child. And again, for the audience of his time, that would be shocking. Jewish, dignified fathers of estate and wealth do not lift up their skirts and run. That is an undignified thing for a man of status to do. So this father, who is generous, full of compassion, willing to give prodigally, digly, is also willing to lose his dignity for the sake of the lost child. So he runs and throws his arms around him and kisses him and says to the, uh, the, to the son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth. Sorry, the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. This little rehearsed speech, you remember he prepared it a little earlier. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father says to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And all of that is language of restoring the son's full position, status, and identity. Clothing in the, Old Te- um, in the uh, scriptures often represents status and identity. So this father says, I'm not just going to bring him back and give him what he needs, a bit of food and shelter. I'm going to restore him to his full status as a son of this household. You see, I wonder sometimes if we don't like the idea of lostness because we're really not sure about the nature of the father. As some of you know, I'm uh, starting what uh, increasingly looks like a mission in the Mosaic District. And I say more like a mission because I'm seeing more and more that those outside the community of faith, which is the whole point of doing this, they have a huge mistrust of the God we worship. They're not sure, A, that he exists, or B, even if he does, whether that's good news. There's an inherent mistrust of the nature of the Father. And the question for us as the church is the question that Ezekiel poses to the community of God is, okay, who's responsible for that image of the Father that is a distortion, ultimately? Who is showing the world an image of a somewhat ungenerous, uncompassionate, ungiving, unwilling to lose our dignity as we run towards those who are lost? Who's giving that? Where did that idea come from? And yes, of course, we could blame, I don't know, the forces of evil, the devil, if you will, but do we have any responsibility as the church? Scriptures would say, yes, we do. Paul said in his letter to Ephesians, the church is his body, is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We are the representation of the Father. When the world outside the church looks and says, what is your God like? You should be able to look at the church and say, ah, that's what your God is like. Compassionate, gracious, willing to lose your dignity for the sake of those who don't know. Willing to run towards them. Really, when I ask the question, who do you identify with? We should say, we identify with the Father. Through Jesus Christ, we are being formed into the image of the Father for the sake of the world. How comfortable does that make you feel? We have a real responsibility to show what God is like. Because the parable then goes on and says, okay, I want you to rethink the nature of the Father. You may not have got the fullness of his generosity, his compassion, for those particularly outside. And there are two ways that this parable then says that you and I become become lost to this father, not just one. It turns out that the parable is going to show us that lostness is a more common thing than we might think And in the two forms of lostness, one of them is actually going to be harder to deal with than the other. Tim Keller pointed out that this parable is showing us that there are two kinds of lostness towards this father who we may not have fully understood the nature of. 
The first is the lostness of relativism, if you will. The relativist, who is the younger son. And the second is lostness through the moralist, the older son. You see, the younger son is a kind of relativist, really. He says, as relativists do, the problem with the world and all those moralistic types is the problem with the world is all those moralistic types who tell you how to live. I want to live my own way, and I'm going out into the world to find myself and to build the world in my own image. And again, working and you know, walking around the Mosaic District, that is a sort of embodiment of that view of life. All the little adverts and signs say, hey, come to the Mosaic District and you can build exactly the kind of life you want to have. And that's really the story of the younger son. Let's just go back to verse 13 for a moment. This is the story of the younger son who has got this kind of restlessness. He's heading off into the world to find himself. And this is what we, what we hear about him. Not long after that, not long after the father has given him all his portion of the wealth, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And it's fascinating to me that the, old, that the father doesn't say no. He says, okay, if that's what you want, you go have it. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs, the ultimate indignity for a Jewish boy. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything when he came to his senses. And it's a classic morality tale, if you will. There's actually, that's the most conventional part of this story. There are plenty of morality tales around, hey, you live wrong, you get wrong, that you might come to your senses. But that's not the most interesting, as it were, in many ways, part of the lost story. I, I would guess that most of us, when I asked, who do you identify with, would say, well, oh, probably the prodigal son. Is that right? I, I recognize that I have had some prodigalness in my life at some point. But how many of us would be willing to say, actually, probably I identify with the older son? Because Jesus has deliberately built the narrative of the younger son so that the moralists among us can wag our fingers. Ah, you see, those terrible, immoral people, they've got to come to their senses and come running back, right? Right? But what we don't see is what we're being invited to identify with the older son, the moralist who says, the problem is that with the world is not me, I'm not the problem, it's them, those immoral types. That's the real problem with the world. But that leads to another kind of lostness to the father. So you get this second narrative of the father and the older son, which interestingly does not get resolved. The parable of the younger son ends with a scene of reconciliation which you saw in that image of the father embracing the prodigal son as he's come to his senses and he's come back. But the parable of the father and the older son, Jesus leaves unresolved. And I think he does that because he's now inviting us to ask ourselves, how do we resolve that? 
Just like a film when, you know, there's just not a clear ending to one of the characters. The invitation is, well, how are you going to, how are you, what do you think this, the ending should look like? Listen to the parable of the older son. Now his older son, the older son of the father was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, the father said, your brother has come. Well, the servant said, I'm sorry, the brother has come and father has killed the fattened calf. The father has sacrificed his best for the prodigal son because he was received him back safe and sound. But the older brother is angry and refuses to go in. So the older brother keeps himself out, excludes himself from this scene of familial love. And the older son doesn't even realize that he is also rejecting the father, and actually he publicly shames and challenges the father's behavior. Which again, for the audience of the time, would have been deeply shocking. The father, again, is the one to come out to the son who is lost and entreats him, come in. But he answers his father, look, these many years I have served you, says the older son. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this immoral son of yours comes who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. You gave him the very best. How dare you behave like that, Dad? How can you behave so recklessly? Shouldn't you be punishing him? Shouldn't you show him the consequences of his behavior? And yet here you are, restoring him to the full identity of a child. And again, the father, just like with the younger son, has to reaffirm his love for and the identity of the older son. So the father says to him, Son, you are always with me, and everything that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The parable, we are so familiar with this parable, it's easy to sentimentalize it. It's easy to miss the impact that this parable would have had for the audience of his time and the impact it should have for us. It should challenge us to think again about the nature of the God we serve, who is far more generous, far more compassionate, far more interested in those outside the familial, his familial embrace than we are. But it should also challenge us to look at our own sense of lostness, and recognize that perhaps for most of us, we have a little bit of the older son and a little bit of the younger son. There's a bit of both in us. There's a bit of wayward living in most of us. But there is also a bit of the moralist who stands, like in that picture of Rembrandt, to one side and looks onto the scene rather than running into the embrace of the father. And you see, to me, this talks very deeply to the whole sense and purpose of the gospel that the gospel is not primarily a moral reform program, although it leads to moral reform, nor is it simply permission to go and live your life your own way. 
The gospel is that through Jesus Christ, a way has been made to run into the arms of the Father, to be re-embraced by God the Father. And it's only in that embrace that we really begin to learn and understand our true identity, our sense of foulness. But we never get there as long as we pretend that there is no lostness in us. I'll end with this little quote from Henry Nguyen, who's one of my favorite authors. He probably would identify himself as an older son. He was a Catholic priest. But he would probably say, oh, I think I would identify with the older son. This is what he said. For most of my life, I've struggled to find God. Notice what he's saying. I felt like it was up to me to go and find God, rather than God is seeking me. Most of my life I've struggled to find God, to know God, to love God. I've tried hard to follow the guidelines of the spiritual life. Pray always, work for others, read the scriptures, and to avoid the many temptations to dissipate myself like the younger son. I've failed many times, I've been prodigal, but always tried again, even when I was close to despair. But now I wonder whether I have sufficiently realized that during all this time, God has been trying to find me, to know me and to love me. The question is not how am I to find God, but how am I to let myself be found by Him? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, and we think about lostness, the lostness that we see in the world around us, but also the lostness we experience in ourselves. As we go on, as we take communion, as we hear familiar words of the liturgy, would you remind us of the true character and nature of the Father. Far more generous, far more reckless in his giving, far more compassionate, willing to lose everything, his own life on the cross, for the sake of those who've been estranged from him. And would you remind us of our own lostness, our prodigalness, but also our older sonness. That we need the embrace of the Father just as much as anyone does. Would you help us to allow ourselves to be found? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.